Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Back Check Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley, and I'm joined somewhere across the ether uh, by Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. And today we have a special episode deviating from our normal pattern, and we're going to focus today on what we might call the dilemma of the defensive defenseman. Um, I tried to get more alliteration in there, but that's all I could come up with. Um, and, uh, so to start, we're just going to briefly talk about what a defensive defenseman is and how we sort of figure that out. And then we're going to talk about a bunch of them. I don't know how many, um, and, uh, and, and talk about what their role is in the game, what it was, how it's changed and whether or not we think any of them or some of them are deserving of being in the hall of fame. So, uh, when hockey started, there were rovers and cover points, I believe, or early in the 20th century. And they had roles that I don't know that I understand. I don't know if you understand, Bill. I mean, they were, there weren't even forward passes really at the time. So I'm not sure exactly uh, what they did, but they were often, as we talked about when talking about Cyclone Taylor, they were often the best player on the team, skating wise anyway. And um that changed over time but initially when the nhl first came up and cover points and uh rovers turned into defensemen defensemen scored somewhat you know we we look at like 1918 1919 players were scoring high 20s uh 35 points in a in a league that there was 20 something games so they were scoring like a point a game and that changed fairly quickly um and then you have you know, between the the twenties and uh, and the fifties, the highest, um, the most points someone a defenseman scored is fifty seven in a season, and that would have been, I think, a fifty game. No, it would have been more than fifty game season. I should have looked that up. But anyway, um, like fifty seven was rare, and in the fifties, fifties, forties, and we're talking about now seventy seventy two game or seventy game seasons, people. Uh, the best offensive defenseman in the league, if you could even call it that, would score like 40 points, 50 points. And then Bobby Orr happened. And, uh, you know, uh, as we were, we were talking about before we, we launched the show, you know, there were, there were guys sometimes in the 60s, a guy would lead the league, lead at all defensemen scoring in, with 39 points in 1961. And then Bobby Orr scoring literally 100 more points 10 years later. So he transformed the game, and at that point, I guess you can really differentiate between offensive defensemen and defensive defensemen. Though there were defensemen in the past who could score, there wasn't such a clear difference, right? Like you have, uh, since the expansion, you have, I think, what, four guy, four defensemen who scored 100 points in a season? Potvin, or Coffee and Leach, I think. That sounds correct. And, and, you know, and then you have guys who, who score 20 points in a season. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are defensive defensemen. And at one point, they were, players like that were valued by hockey teams. And up until very recently, I could say. And, and just as an illustration, we, we had a bit of a, we tried to narrow it down a little bit. We decided that a defensive defenseman was a defenseman who scored less than 0.35 or 0.35 points per game or less. And we just, made that arbitrary distinction and uh we i what i did is i i looked at all of them there's 
absolute ton of them. There's like a hundred or something. And oh, I meant to tell you, Bill, uh, Hammerlick and people like that, they scored. Uh, Tepo Newman and scored too many points. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, to the, qualify. That, that's, you know, it's, um, it really is that like defensive defenseman. Like you don't have seasons yeah. for these guys where they're going to get 40 points. It's like, yeah. There's, like only a couple guys on this list ever got 40 and it was yeah. like 41 once yeah, or something like that you know like yeah. they should yeah. be a guy who you know typically registers 30 points or less in a season yeah and you know he accidentally almost gets his points or he get picks up a secondary assist here or there but he's not the guy rushing the puck up and doing something spectacular you know yeah not what he does so to narrow it down, we looked at uh, we did adjusted points to try and make it equal over all the years, and adjusted uh, 0.35 per game, which is how we end up with one guy from the 80s who actually scored slightly more than that. Um, and then what I looked at was in order to narrow it down further because there were too many players, I I sort of went through it people who had higher career defensive point shares over the career and then also guys who had like led the league in that category. And so I bumped off a bunch of people. One of the things I found of, of the remaining 58 players that I found, or actually more than that, sorry, uh, ooh, like way too many 70 something players was that if you, there's about 16 guys from the original six who qualify for this and uh, seven of them are in the hall of fame. And then you go to the expansion era and there are 41 players who qualified. I believe for yes, 41 and literally one of those guys is in the hall of fame and that's Rod Langway. And so obviously the way the hall of fame values these players has changed because you have a guy like uh, Marcel Pronovost. I don't know how you, how would you pronounce Pronovost in French? Pronovo. Pronovo, okay. Um, Marcel Pronovo, uh, who like was not a scoring, like he scored 0.29 points per game. He is he is in the Hall of Fame and is considered one of the great defensemen of his era. And yet, I'm not sure there's a single defenseman who's been inducted. Well, Rod Langway is the only... Uh, no, Rod Langway scored more than that. There's not a single defenseman who's been inducted who played after the original six era who scored that low. And that's true of a bunch of guys, because um, also uh, Fern Flamen, uh, Butch Bouchard, Leo Boivin, um, Tom Johnson, guys who like, and, and Harry Howell scored a little bit more, but these guys did not score like we're used to seeing now at all. And they're in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, some of it's cups. And, I mean, we'll we'll get to those players in regular episodes when we talk about whether or not they deserve to be in. But the fact is, is that something changed. And some of that is, I think, just the sheer, you know, scoring, right? Like, yeah. when, when a player is scoring 100 points in a season, a defense is scoring 100 or 80 or 90 or whatever it is, it's a lot easier to look at that guy and be like, well, he's the best defenseman. <laughs> I mean, at that point, like a lot of those guys, um, you know, you basically just say like, I think that guy's the best player in the league because he can do it all. You yeah. Know, somebody like um, somebody like a Carlson or a Drew Doughty or uh, some people would argue maybe even Subban or Weber back when he was in his prime. And like some of those guys are just like when that guy's on uh, um, Pronger, like yeah. when that guy's on the ice, even and, you know, like usually it's associated with offense, but like 
towards the end of his career, Pronger was sort of more, I guess, more highly regarded for how tough he was to play against. Yeah. But he still provided like a pretty big offensive punch. And same thing with Weber, you know, he'd score 20 goals because he has that cannon of a slap shot, even though he's a bit more of a stay at home defenseman. Um, He's still putting up the points that people can justify calling him the best player. But, you know, there were years where um, there were a lot of shutdown guys. uh, And when they were on the ice, no matter who their defensive partner was, that pairing would be incredibly difficult to play against. Um, And those guys sort of don't get the recognition because they never really put up the points. You know, they were just busy neutralizing the other team. Um, And those guys became especially important during the clutch and grab era because – those guys could really keep the other team at bay and you, then you just needed one goal to win. So. Yeah. And, and, and so that's, it's interesting because in the eighties you could say, even though that's when Langway won his Norris's, which is really weird. Uh, you could say, you know, um, that that's when they were the least valuable and then the clutch and grab area, they were the most valuable, but weirdly, no, nobody won a Norris. None of those players won a Norris in um, in the nineties, in the clutch and grab era, if you look at the points of the, the Norris winners won in like, so let's say what the clutch and grab era started in 95. You want to say? Yeah. Okay. 96. So Paul coffee scores 58 that year. Chelio 72. The next year, Brian Leach, 78, Rob Blake, 50, Al McKenna, 62, Pronger, 62, Lidstrom from 71. And then Lidstrom from a bunch of years in a row scoring between 50 and 80. And Niederbeier's in there with the 54. There's the odd player who only scores like 50 points. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, I, I can um, look at the lowest ever here. And and basically, like, when Subban won it in 2013, mm-hmm. was the lowest it had been. Uh, he had 38 points. And that was, of course, the shortened season. Yes. So uh, that was the lowest is since Langway, I think. And so really there wasn't this like, despite what you would, you, you said, and I think makes a lot of sense. There wasn't actually a, a return to that. They were picking guys who were still, you know, I, I don't think either of us would argue that Nino Meyer or Lidstrom or Pronger were a defensive liability, but they were picking guys who could do both things. Yes. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I guess maybe what they were focusing on more is the complete defenseman. Mm-hmm. But then the argument against that, which I think both of us would probably agree on, is that a lot of times the guy who can do everything can't really do everything. He just scored 70 points. So you almost have to give it to him. And then it's like, well, he's, you know, he scores this many power play points and he's on the ice a lot. And, you know, his course, he's not very good or his, you know, his plus minus isn't very good, even though plus minus can be a misleading stat, like if he's on a bad team or something. But I mean, a lot of times you'll be like, you know, like I, I never think of Eric Carlson as the best defensive defenseman in the league. Yeah. He's clearly the best offensive defense in the league. That, I don't even think that's a question, but um, I would take a guy like Drew Doughty over him any day because I feel like he controls the game better. Um, yeah, I agree. When the going gets tough and, you know, it's a, it's a really rough playoff game, he's probably going to be better able to handle the style of play. But, you know, they're both fantastic. It's just that I think, you know, Doughty reminds me more of like a Lidstrom where he could do everything mm-hmm. and never seems to really get caught up in the rush. And it's like, how did he get back so quick? Like just yeah. similar to a Duncan Keith, that kind of thing, you know, just uh, how did he get back? I don't know. <laughs> just, he's always yeah. there. And Carlson skating is out of this world, but 
you know, he's kind of a one-man show. Ottawa's not that great of a team. Um, and his style of play is more of a finesse style of play, I guess. Um, and statistically, of course, he bears out extremely well. Um, you know, the Senators are like a top three team with him on the ice and like bottom of the basement without him on the ice. Um, so his value is definitely there, but I still don't think of him as a great defensive defenseman. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned Corsi because I, I one of the things I was thinking about when I was prepping for this is like how the hell without actually watching these guys play games and in the case of the guys we're going to talk about we didn't see most of their games or all of their games because we're talking about guys who are eligible already so that means that the the defensive defensemen we saw like Willie Mitchell and people like that are not eligible yet yeah. so and I only saw the tail end of of, of uh, Glenn Wesley and a few other guys um, like Corsi Corsi is, uh, a, as we talked about, is a possession stat in Fenwick as well. And they are not, at least currently, not kind to these types of players. The reason being that the players are often used by coaches um, to to face against the, uh, the best Corsi players on the other team, yep. but also to come in in situations where their team already doesn't have the puck or is is having a um a defensive uh zone face off and if they lose that then their Corsi gets fucked yeah. basically yeah. and so though Corsi I generally uh would trust Corsi uh 5 on 5 Corsi uh over uh um plus minus it's still and we don't the pro- two problems we don't have it for most of the players we're going to talk about but also it doesn't if if you are being deployed in a shutdown role primarily to face the other team's best line and also in in your own end and that always happens to you for most of your career your course is going to be fucked yeah, and absolutely. it may not it it's hard to overcome that um unless of course you're uh you're just really really good or you're you're played in more favorable situations in other in other contexts and and so that not that we have you know we uh we don't really have possession um numbers for these guys because they're just uh i think there's like four guys but to give you an indication only one of them was even barely positive corsi um and that was barrett jackman who is a career 50.6 i.e like league average um, and Robin Regeer, Tony Ludman, and Adam Foote were all uh, less than that. Uh, though Adam Foote, that was the tail end of his career. Uh, yeah. It was like only a couple years of the tail end of his career, so that you can just throw that out the window. Who even knows? Um, but that the question it raises for me is when you and I or anyone else who is our age or younger goes back and looks at these players and tries to like decide their place in history like what do we even look at because we don't have their possession stats which are we we just said are skewed we don't have their ice time i mean we have some ice time and that's an indication but like of the guys of the 40 guys i talked about or we're going to talk about there's like 17 that we have partial or total ice time numbers for most of these guys we don't have ice time so that leaves us with uh the really highly flawed plus minus and the really highly flawed 
point shares. Mm-hmm. Because these, as we talked about, these guys have scored 0.35 points per game or less. And so we don't have the points. And and so it's it's hard to know without having seen, you know, everybody here but Wesley and Hatcher and Carney and Regeer and Jackman and a few and Foot and a few others. Like hard yeah. hard to know what to make of them at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> I mean, without without going back and watching lots and lots of games. Um, without like the ice time thing, if you at least have the ice time, then you know this guy, like with Hatcher, for example, as we were talking about with the in the Zubov episode, you know he was played almost as much as Zubov in some of those series, and in one series more than him, then you know that he was, you know, doing something, yeah. um, quote unquote, right? Because <laughs> it was probably <laughs> dirty, but yes. it was it was working at the time, um, you know, and but like when you you don't have uh. I don't know, pick some, I mean, just pick a random guy, Jim Schoenfeld's ice time, you know, how do you know? Um, because by one metric, Jim Schoenfeld, that one metric that I found, Joan, Jim Schoenfeld is the best of these players. And yet, well, uh, like you didn't hear what the metric was. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's point shares, it's point shares per 82 games, which is okay. like, who knows? And that is totally inflated by his plus minus, which is, uh, very high. It's uh, 236 um, in 719 games, which is, you know, crazy. Um, like, what the hell do we know about him, right? Like, we, this is a low-scoring player who played for only 700 games and yet has a crazy plus-minus. Yeah. Do we know, like, is that is Jim Sho- was Jim Soenfeld so good that he was able to, you know, he helped his team so much defensively that they just ended up giving up so few goals. That's why it's a plus minus. Or is he just lucky to play on the 70 Sabres? Yeah. I mean, he, I've never heard anybody making a case for him for the hall of fame before. I mean, he probably should be in for that epic rant uh, where he, when he was the coach, <laughs> suspended called the referee a fat pig i mean that should get him in and in the coaches section but i think as a player maybe he doesn't belong um but that's the thing you know like if you don't watch these guys play all the time you don't really know how good they were defensively and if you can even make a case for them now i, I watched a lot of hockey in the late 80s early 90s when i was you know about eight nine ten years old so there's a lot of defensemen that i saw play but a lot of them were not at the peak of their career. They were sort of like that, you know, the old defensive guy who would, you know, really help the team with his veteran presence and give them an important 15 to 20 minutes and that kind of stuff. You know, it's like a guy like Peter Svoboda or um, yeah. uh, Brad McCrimmon I saw a little bit of, um, uh, Craig Ludwig. A lot of those guys, I remember the name and I remember watching him play and he, him being that kind of defenseman where, Oh, he's on the ice. Nothing bad's going to happen. Like, yeah, just going to yeah. sort of shut down the other team. Uh, Adam Foote, I remember being really, really good for the Avalanche. Um, Me too. Me too. And so I would think that he would have one of the better cases. Uh, I saw guys like uh, Keith Carney, Ulf Samuelson, uh, Jamie McCown, um, Jackman. I saw his whole career. So that's an, that's an easy one to sort of know how good he was. 
Um, same thing with Regeer. Um, but guys like um, Sylvain Lefebvre and uh, Craig Muni and Ken, Ken Danico, I only saw half their careers, if that. So, I mean, how, how are we supposed to know if the stats bear it out? And then there's just really no way to go back and check or to exactly how important they were. Like the stats just aren't good enough for a lot of those guys. And so, and here's, so this is where, this is where I like, I get really, um, I, I don't know what the right word is, perplexed, I guess, is that here we have a guy, Rod Langway. He scored yeah. 51 goals, 278 assists. Uh, that's 329 points in 994 games, plus 276. When he retired, he was 13th all-time in plus-minus. So, okay. Um, there are lots of guys who retired way higher up the plus-minus chart who are not in the Hall of Fame and some and who didn't score. And I can tell you some of them right now. Uh, Peter Savoba. Uh, oh, sorry. That was the wrong, wrong direction. Uh, no, he was not actually quite that high, but he... Uh, Sorry, hold on one moment here. Okay, so Dallas Smith, who benefited from playing with Bobby Orr, so like he's kind of there's a huge asterisk next to him. Um, Brad McCrimmon, Jimmy Watson, Bill Height, I guess that's how you pronounce the name, uh, Andre Dupont, Terry Harper, all of these guys finished way higher up than Rod Langway did career plus minus when they retired. Now they all retired before Langway did. Yeah. Um, well, all except maybe McCrimmon. Yeah, McCrimmon was later, but everyone else did. So, so they had an advantage. But so right there, there's no clear indication, without actually watching tape, that McCr- that Langway's more deserving than anyone else. Yeah. If you go by point shares, which I know no one in the Hall of Fame even knows what they are, mm-hmm. but you go by defensive point shares, we have another uh, similar thing where uh, Rod Langway has 70.9 defensive point shares which is not in the top all time, but was 14th when he retired. But once again, um, other players retired with, uh, you know, higher up Brad McCrimmon, Terry Harper, Dallas Smith, Bill Height, Rod Sealing. And again, there's just no indication to someone who didn't watch Rod Langway play why Langway is better. Um, obviously, these are just numbers, and particularly point shares are, are just, you know, they're an approximation of value and they don't really mean anything. Um, it's, it's worth noting that in the playoffs, hmm. you know, one of the things I did is I looked at, were the, was the guy a better uh, performer in the playoffs um, in terms of points um, or in terms of plus minus? Yeah. And, you know, if we go at the players who were better in terms of points, um, then it, uh, like in the playoffs over the regular season, we find that there are, um, hold on, like just everybody on this list was better in the playoffs than Rod Langway. Almost everybody, two thirds of the list were wow. better in the playoffs po- by points. Now, these guys are not scorers. So that is not necessarily, uh, you know, a condemnation of Rod Langway. If we go by plus minus, it's the same story. Once again, all these players, Tony Ludman, Tony fucking Ludman, uh, Eric <laughs> Weinrich, you know, 
uh, Ken Danico, uh, Adam Foote, who we talked about, lots of lots and lots of guys. Yeah, Thir- twenty eight guys on this list who had roughly similar careers to Rod Langway improved plus minus wise in the playoffs than they did for uh, from the regular season. Now, does that mean anything? I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of like playoffs are, you know, you lock into the the teams you're on most of the time and, and whether or not those teams are making the playoffs, you don't have as a player, you don't have much control until you get on the ice. You certainly have no control in terms of team building. And some of these guys like Dallas Smith and, and um, people like that. And Glenn Wesley had like tons and tons of playoff games, right? Like when Wesley was on uh, so many damn playoff teams. Um, despite the fact that you know he was on the Hurricanes for a while. Um, <laughs> but my point is that like when I look at this, at least the careers, I do not see anything that tells me that Rod Langway was demonstrably better than, say, 20 of these players or five of these players, depending on which uh, stat you're picking. And, and particularly, I, and, and again, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't know because I, I haven't watched it, but I, I look at Brad McCrimmon, mm-hmm. who has not quite double the plus minus of Rod Langway um, and and more defensive point shares. And I, I think, like, why is he so clearly not deserving of being in the Hall of Fame when Rod Langway clearly is? Yeah. And I, I know that it, Brad McCrimmon's plus minus is bonkers because he played on the 80s Flyers and the 80s Flames, who both had crazy goal differentials. And I don't know whether McCrimmon helped those or would, like he was just playing next to Mark Howe and then, uh, I don't know, either Gary Suter or Al McInnes. And so yeah. he benefited like crazy, just like Dallas Smith with Bobby Orr, right? Yeah. I don't know. But it sure makes me wonder because these guys for some reason rod langway and i and the next thing i guess we can talk about got all this extra like respect for for what he did that the rest of them didn't seem to get and if you listen to people talk about him as you were mentioning bill before we started mm-hmm. it's because he was really good but yeah. I don't trust old time, old guy hockey narratives like at all. <laughs> I just have no tolerance for. It. I don't. It, it, if you can prove it to me, yeah. I'm interested. But like telling me he was really good doesn't mean shit, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I know that the right a uh, similar group of writers who who gave the Norris to Rod Langway two years in a row gave it to Randy Carlisle previous year when he was yeah. minus sixteen. Mm-hmm. So, um. I feel like Rod Langway was a was compensation for that <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> and I I don't have faith in the people who voted. Um, anyway, uh, I'm ranting, but well, it's extremely difficult to say when you don't have enough stats. If you didn't see the guy play, to even like maybe even consider that he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like I, I've talked to you know a lot of guys who. You know, that I, I played hockey in some old-timers leagues and stuff like that where I was one of the younger guys. And some of the old guys, when they would talk about Rod Langley, would say, oh, yeah, he was like, such a good skater and what a great defenseman. And, man, he was something else. And it's like, 
really rod langway like i remember hearing the name but like i only saw a couple of years of his career um but he's held in very very high regard by a lot of people and i i'm i guess without seeing him play um you know you can watch highlights and all that kind of stuff but that doesn't really tell the whole story especially um, with players like this yeah and so then it's like how do we know how good he was you know like it's you know i i would sort of say too you get a guy like I remember Ken Danico being really good, but he always played with um, either Stevens or Niedermeyer. So of course he looked great. Um, but you know, he was like Mr. Devil played in all their playoff games. Like I think until he retired, he played in yeah. every devil's playoff game ever. He was that he played there forever, but he was like a rock solid sort of, you know, number three, number four defenseman that every team needs. But I don't know that a number three, number four defenseman should ever be going into the hall of fame. Um, you get a guy like Regeer or Foote who played top pairing minutes or Hatcher, then you can sort of start to make the case. But, yeah. you know, Hatcher played with Zubov, Foote played with uh, Rob Blake sometimes, and who was the other guy he played with? Ozelinch. Yeah, Sandus Ozelinch. Yeah, so like it's sort of that defensive guy who let the offensive guy take more chances. Yeah. And yes, that guy's critically important, but is there a way to measure? how important he was to those teams. And even you get a guy like Kevin Lowe, again, probably you would say a number three, number four defenseman type. He has all the cups because he played in Edmonton forever, but nobody would ever say they wouldn't have won those cups without Kevin Lowe. Therefore, like, you, I don't know that you can put him in the Hall of Fame. And well, I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame, to be honest. So Kevin Lowe is a good segue. Yeah. Moving on to the awards that these people have won. Mm-hmm. Kevin Lowe has more all-star game appearances than anyone else on this list. Wow. His seven. Now, if if someone wants to tell me that's because of some other reason than he was on the Oilers, hmm. I'm willing to listen, but I don't I, I'm very skeptical. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. it is absurd. Most of the guy half the guys on this list don't have a single all-star game appearance. A bunch of them have one. Yeah. Rod Langway has six. Wow. Um, which well there's a reason. Um, well, Capitals for a while, right? And maybe he's he just the only guy in the Capitals doing anything. That was that's the theory. Um, but like, Kevin Lowe has seven All Star game appearances, and the argument for Kevin Lowe being in the Hall of Fame literally comes down to he won six cups and he has seven All Star game appearances. <laughs> you know, like it it isn't it isn't an argument at all. Um, but it is it's you know I, I've mentioned this before. My favorite basketball writer Zach Lowe. Uh, agonizes at the end of each year over first and second team and third team All-NBA because there's third team All-NBA for some reason. And people ask him, why are you beating yourself up about this? It's just a stupid award. Mm -hmm. And he always says, because it matters, because in 20 or 30 years, people are going to look at this and go, oh, he must have been really good. Or he wasn't good. He didn't get third team All-Star. And here we have a guy who, I looked this up, um beforehand kevin lowe was on on the six cups that he was on now this isn't being fair to kevin lowe because i don't have ice time so i'm i'm going role wise i'm going by uh points which is you know obviously not fair because he's a defensive defenseman he was a top two defenseman on one runner up he was a top four defenseman on two of the stanley cup champions he was a role player on four stanley cup champions so he was not one of the reasons yes. that his teams won six cups. I mean, he was 
a role. He was a part of it, obviously. And maybe someone who was less good than him would have not, you know, would have been a liability and they wouldn't have won one or two of those cups. But he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame for being like a passenger. And and he doesn't deserve seven all-star game appearances. And this is where I like this is one of the things that interests me about this whole topic and also frustrates me is because like for us who who didn't watch the 80s Oilers or if we did we were not I mean I certainly couldn't have remembered anything I don't remember anything from that age um I don't remember any sports from the 80s really except late late 80s maybe 89 or something but um like what are we supposed to go by here we have this guy who's been in seven all-star games he he was nominated for he he got a top top five in Norris voting once um and yet the other information we have says that he was you know like you said he was either a top four or not even top four sometimes defender on on his team like you shouldn't induct top four defensemen into the hall of fame if, if you're not if you're not top pairing i don't even know why we're considering you unless of course you know, two Hall of Famers played in front of you for most of your career, and yeah. you also happened to be pretty fantastic, and you were just sort of that guy who, well, I'm not as offensive as those guys, so I don't get top pairing because I don't produce the offense. I'm more the shutdown pairing. Then I think, they, you know, like uh, Francois Beauchemin when they had uh, Pronger and Niedermeyer, like, you know, he was an important, really important yeah. part of that team. Yeah. Uh, and allowed both of those guys to play you know, a good half the game each because <laughs> he could make whoever else he was playing with when he wasn't playing with one of those two also be like a pretty respectable pairing because yeah. he was, you know, but I'm still not saying he should be in the Hall of Fame, but that's the sort of thing that I think maybe you could start to make a case yeah. for someone. I think if you're talking about uh, a second pairing defenseman, that team has to be, and you're talking a uh, career second pairing defenseman in that player. Yeah is going you're saying they're in the hall that team has to be like the 70s Habs or the you like know the 70s Prince. yeah like you got to be yeah. playing behind Bobby Orr and Brad Park yeah yeah <laughs> yeah or or like you know they maybe the the maybe the Islanders but like then the offense is exploding and then you know, like should we really be rewarding defensemen in that era but yeah i mean it's it's the idea that and so that's that's where to come back to um Langland, this guy won two Norris trophies, which is why, like, Langway is in the Hall of Fame because he won two Norris trophies, right? Like, he he's in the Hall of Fame because when people look back at his career, he has two Norris trophies, and every other guy on this list and the people who didn't make this list don't have two Norris trophies. They don't even have one. In fact, most of them don't even have a top five Norris vote of the of the forty players we're talking about here seven got a top five norris vote um langway made top five in norris voting five times but here's the really crazy part he was top five in heart voting three times in the 80s wow now it's possible it's possible maybe maybe he was just incredible in 1984 but i i have an issue because <laughs> uh in terms oh well, they were the best defensive team in the league actually 
So I guess the argument is they're the best defensive team in the league because because of him. Yeah. Now, what would help with that would be knowing his ice time, but unfortunately the NHL sucks. Because if he was playing Pronger-esque minutes, I, I I would literally give up this argument. If I found out Rod Langway played 30 minutes a night in 1984, I would be like, okay, all right, I get, I agree, he's in, it belongs. Uh, I agree with him finishing second in Hart no- Trophy nominations uh, ahead of Trottier and uh, Bossy <laughs> and various other people. Um, but I don't know that. Uh, and it seems, you know, it seems interesting. Uh, also, best defensive team in 1984, you know, it's a relative thing. But uh, they, they were still giving up a hell of a lot of goals. <laughs> anyway, um, I should have looked that up before I started saying that because it turns out that he actually might have a better case for that Hart Trophy nomination than I thought. Uh, but another year, uh, they were not the first best defensive team, and he came in fourth. And another year when he came in fourth in Hart Trophy, I'm just looking this up right now because I just find this fascinating that in the 80s when everyone was scoring, a defensive defenseman was nominated for the Hart this much. Um, yeah, so they were only the best defensive league one of the three times he was top five in Hart Trophy. Um, and again, without ice time, and without doing a deep dive on the goalies he was ahead of, it's hard to really know if he deserved it. Um, but I wonder, I just, I guess if you go through the other Norrises of the 1980s, you don't see that pattern play out, right? They don't find the, the best defenseman necessarily on the best. Like they, don't, they don't find the best defensive team and pick the best defensive men on it and give them the Norris. Like, the only years they did it were in 83-84. He was only the best defenseman on the best defensive team in one of those two years. Like, the other years, you know, they're giving it to Carlisle and Doug Wilson and and mid-80s Paul Coffey. And so I guess what I'm getting at is, A, I wish they were consistent, and B, are we really sure that he was so much better than all other defensive defensemen that he deserved three top five Hart Trophy nominations. No one else on this list even got one ever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And I have my doubts because of what we were talking about in terms of the plus minus, in terms of the point shares. But also, if we go to uh, their roles on on uh, great teams, he he doesn't have a illustrious record. Mm-hmm. He was a role player on a final four and he was a role player on a, um, on a third place Canada cup finisher. That is Rod Langway's illustrious playoff career in the NHL. Well, he did, uh, he did win the Stanley cup with the Canadians in his first year in the league. So oh, how did I miss that? Yeah. It was, he, he was did, a rookie, so I can't imagine he played a ton, or he was the deciding he didn't, factor. He, he, uh, yes, uh, he. Um, sorry, I'm just looking up right now. He uh, he played half the 
playoffs. Okay. So minus two in eight games. Okay, but still, I mean, if you're gonna, a lot of guys, do, you know, get, you know, Denny Savard won his cup sitting on the bench. <laughs> yeah. Would he? Would he have helped the Canadians win that cup? Oh, definitely. But you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I uh, jumped over that. I probably had it in the injured in the injured category. I didn't even look um, yeah. whether or not he was injured. He was probably just a rookie and not injured yeah. and just a spare part. Um, yeah. The point being that he doesn't like the things. All I'm trying to say is, aside from the 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 voting awards, mm-hmm. aside from the votes, he doesn't have anything else in his career to tell us that he he's a hall of fame defenseman yeah well it's, and except for those trophies but i'm yeah you know, i'm doing my my crack research here by going and rereading his wikipedia because it's been a while since i read it um and you know basically the the capitals hadn't made the playoffs since they had been in the league for the first yeah. eight seasons and then made that blockbuster deal with the canadians to acquire him they traded ryan walter and rick green for him yeah uh, um uh, and the uh, and they got uh, the Capitals got Doug Jarvis as well and Craig Laughlin and Brian Englum, um, but basically getting Rod Langway, according to Wikipedia, basically saved the franchise from moving out of DC yes. because it actually gave them someone legitimate to sort of hang their hat on. But then yeah. um, they started making the playoffs and the Capitals competed in the postseason in every one of the eleven years that Langway was with the team. So they went from being we never made the playoffs to we make the playoffs every year when this guy's yep. here. Now in those days, that just meant you weren't the worst team in your division because yep. divisions were five teams, and <laughs> all you had to do was be top four to make the playoffs. But you know he did, and a lot of people, uh, you know, apparently his nickname was the Secretary of Defense because he played in Washington. Um, yeah, and then it's good. Was, it's good. Saved that franchise and ended up giving them like he helped their goals against so much that when they had been getting absolutely shelled before and they would lose too many games to make the playoffs, now his excellence at defense was actually reducing the Capitals' goals against average, which I think we saw some evidence for. Um, we did, we did. And then that made them finally be able to start making the playoffs because they weren't just you know a bunch of chickens running around with their heads cut off. At least that's what I'm getting from what I'm reading here. Um, but then it does go into the sort of... Um, also that he, you know, he won the Norris Trophy in 83 and 84, but that, you know, the guys who had won that before were, you know, Bobby Orr, Denny Potvin, Larry Robinson, who were putting up super high scoring numbers. So, yeah. you know, that they're sort of saying like he had to have been that good defensively in order to receive that sort of consideration. I, I understand all that. And I've, I've actually, yeah. like, I've heard this before and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, yeah. but it also reeks, reeks of the old school sports narrative. Yeah. You know, that is exactly how they go. A, a singular player comes in and transforms a franchise and yada, 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 yada. And like life is more complicated than that. And, and also we're talking about a guy who scores 30 points a season. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, without ice time, you have no idea. Um, exactly. It's, I was looking at the goalies and the goalie situation seems to have improved slightly from the year before to the year he was there, but not, you know, a huge degree. So there, there could very well be, he could very well have made a, uh, big, big change. If he was playing 30 minutes a night 
or yeah. 28 or something like that. Yeah. If he's playing 24 minutes a night or 25, I'm a little more skeptical. Um, my point being is that uh, to, to keep harping on him is not necessarily... My point is, I guess, that we don't know. It's hard to know because they made this sudden weird decision to suddenly vote for the the supposed best defensive defenseman in the league for the Norse for two years and then abandoned it again forever and never went back to it. And that it's possible that some of these other players who were also as good as Langway or up almost up to that level have been forgotten, essentially. I don't know. I have no way of knowing. Hold on one second. <laughs> I really need to get a cough button. You do? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I look, I find, I find his story fishy. Um, and it's just, it's just cause I'm skeptical in nature and, Wait. and because I don't trust the voters. Are, are you saying that because he was born in Taiwan or? <laughs> I wish I said that because he was born in Taiwan. <laughs> he really was though. He's the only NHL yeah. player to ever be born in Taiwan. Yes, absolutely. He's the career leader in points for NHL players born in Taiwan. <laughs> And probably will be forever. <laughs> but I guess what I mean to harp on this is, is first of all, it, it's it's to bring up that we don't necessarily have the right information unless we were to go back and sit around and watch 83, 84 Capitals games yes. um, endlessly. But also that the inconsistency with the award means we don't really know what to make of it. And then we either have this weird precedent set where uh, you have this one defensive defenseman who was lucky enough to get consideration and he's in and, you know, no, another defensive defenseman will never get in until one of them wins another Norris. If that ever happens. And it's very unlikely now I'd say, or alternatively, you know, you could you could say if you ignored the voting or you said I don't trust the voting, you could say, well, there are all these players who have better career numbers than he does who played a similar role who are not in the Hall of Fame. There's at least four of them. Um, you know, why aren't they in there? Anyway, I, it's it's like I don't know what to do about it, but it is uh I, I think his his the fact that he's in is 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 confusing and, and the fact that he won two Norse is 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 weird and it's not necessarily wrong. But it's weird. It's unusual, and it's—I don't know of another case because after Bobby Orr, there's no other defensive defenseman that I can think of who won a Norris. Mm-hmm. You, can you think of any? I can't think of any. No, no, Nobody no, on this list did. Yeah. So I—I I, I don't know. What... We had at least 40, 50 points at least. You know, yep. even considered. So. Yeah, like as I was saying earlier. Uh, if you're under 40, there's only uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 Norris trophies since the existence of the trophy have been given to someone who scored less than 40 points. Wow. And they are uh, Doug Harvey, Tom Johnson, Sue Langway twice, or in his rookie season when he was 19, <laughs> the Perrier, Harvey two more times, and uh, Pilot. Wow. And that's it. Man. And uh, Everybody else has scored more than that. And and so you have this weird thing where and all of those guys had better offensive seasons in other years. Except for maybe Le Perrier. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but obviously Orr did, Harvey did, 
Tom Johnson, maybe not. Um, Pelote. Am I pronouncing his last name right? Pierre Pelote? Who? Pierre, uh, the Blackhawks. Pierre Pelote, is it? I'm not sure. Pelote? P-I-L-O-T-E? Yeah, Pierre Pelote. Pelote. Um, anyway, he had a better offensive seasons. Um, I, yeah, because he won the Norris with 59 points two years later. Um, anyway, it's just like, it's this weird thing that happened. It, and the, the weirdest part about it that happened uh, is when it happened, which was in the mid-80s or early 80s, when everyone was scoring like mad. And suddenly the writers are like, hey, defensive defensemen should win the, def- the defenseman trophy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think if if they if they do make a separate trophy, which I think both of us have been proponents of for quite some time, yeah. where the Norris either the Norris stays as the offensive defenseman trophy, and the um, then there's another one for you know defensive, and you use actually actual defensive stats to sort of try to quantify who is you know, or who are the best few defensive defensemen in the league. Um, that would be great because then you would be able to look at a guy and say, you know, oh, he won, he won this many Rod Langway trophies. So he must be great, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but just doesn't put up a lot of points, that kind of thing, you know, like just. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I feel like they're, it wouldn't be a bad thing if there was a award for, I, I don't know the role. I think the role is changing. So maybe the time has passed yeah. for it to have existed because now it is certainly if, if you're, if you're like a Corsi nut, yeah. it's hard to justify their existence because they do not usually help your, uh, your shot rate. But, no. um, but I agree it should have existed in the past or as you, you were sort of alluding to, I think the other option would have been if you had, um, just the like the Bobby Orr or Paul Coffey or whatever award for the defenseman with the most points. Yep. People are no longer going to feel bad exactly. about giving the Norris to someone else. Yeah, exactly. The person who scored the most points yep. because they they got their award. And you know, yeah. so some years the Hart Trophy doesn't go to the forward who, who leads the league in points, and we can all console ourselves because that person got the Art Ross. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a phenomenal idea, and it's it's a thing where they really could, you know, as the st- as the as the advanced stats get better and better, they start to look at things like shot suppression. Yeah, and that shows yeah. a lot of the value of defensive defensemen. Like a, a lot of people have been, you know, talking about the Leafs adding a defensive defenseman for years, and it seems like a lot of Leafs fans always want Chris Tanev. And they're like, ah, we'll give you like a third rounder for him. And it's like, he doesn't score any points. Like, yeah, but look, like his shots surprised. Like he, yeah. the Canucks are like a vastly better team when he's on the ice. He's awesome yeah. at what he does. Yeah. He's just not going to get you a lot of points because that's not what he does. But like the other team struggles to generate shots when he's on the ice. He's very good at what he does, you know? And it's like, yep. Yeah. And as the stats get better, we start to realize the value of a guy who plays 20, 24 minutes a night and the other team only gets six shots during those 24 minutes because he's always on the ice just being awesome you know yeah. so maybe we start to f- sort of figure that out and realize the value of players who don't get the you know the the fancy you know 
goal scoring stats or trophies or all that kind of stuff that makes people just, wow, that guy was great. Look at how much stuff he won. You actually watch a guy like that play and be like, man, like he is really good at what he does. Like there's a lot of defensemen like that. And some of these guys I think would have fallen into that category if we had been able to keep track of shot suppression stats back in those days. Absolutely. I'm sure that a guy like Hatcher or Foot, Foot especially, I think maybe Robin Regeer, they would have had probably excellent, excellent numbers. And, and maybe it, maybe even Rod Langway. Yep, maybe even Rod Langway, yeah. Um, it, it would be nice to know that kind of stuff because then we could actually start to make a case for, look, this guy doesn't have the stats that usually get you into the hall, but yeah. as for like in terms of value to his team, He's an ext- he was an extremely valuable player to that team. They exactly. They probably wouldn't have had any success without him kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, like, for lack of that, all we have is, like, their role in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, for most of these guys, we don't really know what that role was because, again, we don't have ice time. And so we're left, like, going by their points, which are, of course – low and yep. so you know here i and then i can rant about how kevin low does, doesn't deserve to be in the hall of fame because according to points he was mostly a role player on all yep. those teams well i don't actually know if that's true or not as much as i want to believe it's true because he was a bad gm um but like i uh you know i, I i'm guessing because all i have are the points and the shooting percentage which doesn't help with a defensive defenseman but like to talk like just to to sort of add on, you mentioned Regeer. Yeah. Regeer is a guy who I remember as being good at that role, and you know when you look at his career, frankly, you're going to be like, well, this guy clearly doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. There is only one thing that would suggest to you that he might, and I'm not saying for a second, don't do not anyone who's <laughs> listening take me as saying <laughs> that he belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm just using this as an example. But in in uh, in 2004, he was, by ice time, the most important skater on the Calgary Flames. And they were one goal away from winning the Stanley Cup. Some now they were zero goals away from Yes, winning. some would argue they were zero goals away. I, I might have made that case back in like 2005 or something. I feel like I've gotten over it, but at the time I definitely felt that way. But the point being is that he was good enough, at least for that stretch at what he did, that his coach was able to trust him to play more minutes than any other skater. And it worked almost completely. They, you know, and and should have had, had the refs maybe been doing a better job. Um, and, and that's true also of, uh, you know, we have information about Hatcher, believe it or not, we have information about that with Keith Carney. Keith Carney was the best player, uh, or sorry, the, the most valuable, um, skater by minutes anyway, not by points. Obviously that was Korea on the 2003 mighty ducks who almost, um, won the cup who almost won the cup and like, that's all, but that the, the point of this is that like we only know that because they started to track ice time. Yeah. And you know, if we just had points, we would look at both Regeer and Carney and we would say, and and Hatcher as well, on his on his uh one time when he was arguably even more important than Zubov one year. Um 
without the ice time, we would look at their points and we would say they're like a top four defenseman or something like yep. that. When the reality of it was, no, they were number one. Yep. And we don't know that with Langway. We don't know that with Lowe. We don't know that with McCrimmon, yeah. um, Engblom, Height, uh, Show, uh, Schoenfeld, uh, all these guys. Like Glenn Wesley for most of his career. Um, well, we can guess because Glenn Wesley was playing with Bork for a while. But, yeah. um, but like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate, you know? Like we have, we just, for those of us who didn't, who weren't, old enough or weren't alive for some of these games we just don't have the information we have to go by these and, and so we're judging these guys maybe unfairly based on what they were actually able to do mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's one of those things where i think we we sort of wish that we could have stats like that where if somebody has some eye popping shot suppression uh plus minus um you know Corsi, like just this this guy is just off the charts, but just never put up a lot of points. Just one of those guys who always had the puck, didn't make mistakes, like just was, you know, excellent in his own zone and not a liability in the offensive zone in terms of like coughing up the puck. Then it would be nice to be able to make a case for a guy like that to be in the hall. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we're ever going to have the stats to be able to make cases for all those you know, defensive stalwarts from the 80s and 90s where we, you know, if we saw them play enough of their career, we're like, yeah, that guy was a great defenseman. Yeah. He played, you know, a number three or a number two or even a number one role on some of these teams. But like, but there's just no way we can put him in the hall because we can't quantify how great he was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, and, and, and you're left, you know, um, you're left with this weird position where like, if you talk about Rod Langway, People will go. The old the people who watch them will go. Oh yeah, he deserves. But you mentioned Brad McCrimmon, or you mentioned Bill Height, or you mentioned uh, Schoenberg, uh, Schoenfeld. Jesus, why do I keep trying to call him Schoenberg? Um, <laughs> or any of these other guys on the like plus minus uh, career list? Yeah. Uh, and people just dismiss you outright. Yeah. And and my my question that I was always like. But but why? <laughs> you know, like, I don't actually know that they were significantly worse. I would and like th- to know that. The thing is, there's not a lot of these guys where I go like, yep, that guy should be in the Hall of Fame. Or even, I think, strongly enough to say, like, I'd try to make a case for him. I think maybe Foot. I think probably people who didn't find Darian Hatcher to be dirty, so I guess Stars fans, um, <laughs> would would sort of try to make a case for him being that he was an important piece of a quote unquote cup winner. Um, you know, there's like, I think there's a few guys on that list where you could sort of make a case of this guy belongs in the hall of fame. He won championships. He was a top pairing defenseman on championships, but by, by no means do I think either one of those guys should be like, Oh yeah, he totally belongs in. It's like, no, I, I'll, I'll listen to it or I'll think about it, but it's, I think it's going to take those guys a while to get in. I don't even think you can make a, a good case for most of them because they don't have any. It, in most cases, they don't. They don't. Not only do they not have awards, they don't even have voting. I know. In some cases, you know, like the list of guys who, like I said before, the list of guys who have a top five uh, Norris vote on the out of these guys we're talking about. There's there's seven of them. Yeah. And and maybe that's fair. Maybe that's how it should be. I don't I don't know, but uh, I mean. That's you're not. 
I, I can't imagine. There's not too many defensemen, I don't think, who are in the Hall of Fame right now who have, like, one top five Norris vote. There's maybe a couple, but not many. Um, and and it's, I mean, there'd be more from, like, uh, the original six era or earlier, right? Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, earlier, there was no Norris Trophy earlier. But, um, you know, the original six era, there'd be a bunch of defensemen who don't have Norris votes necessarily, but the voting process was different and, you know, standards were different and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I honestly, I would be shocked if any of these guys made the Hall of Fame. Um, any, uh, ever. Um, and, and maybe that's the way it should be. I just, I feel like I don't know that for sure. And I would like to know that for sure. Like, I'd like more information so I could look at this and be like, this makes sense to me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I, I'd like to be able to to look at a case and be like, oh, I know why, I know why Langway is in the Hall of Fame over all of these other guys, and it's not just based on this nice little narrative about him saving the Capitals franchise. Yeah. Um. You know, despite rarely ever scoring, <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be nice if like I could look at um, I don't know, pick someone like Dallas Smith and and look at Dallas Smith and go. Well, we know why. We do know. Maybe he's not the best example. We do know why he's his uh, plus minus is absurd. Um, <laughs> it's because he played next to Bobby Orr. So I should probably have picked a better example. But like, if you look at Dallas, if we had an ice time of Bobby Orr and Dallas Smith, and say Orr played, I don't know, a couple minutes more game than Smith because he's playing on the power play and Smith isn't, whatever that would be. Yeah. Um. That that's going to tell us something about Dallas Smith. Whereas if we had ice time suggesting that Dallas Smith played almost as many minutes and I'm uh, no way this is actually possible yeah. as, or then you would start to think, well, oh, maybe we underrated this guy historically, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe we missed something here. Maybe Dallas Smith was better than we thought. And he was actually helping like giving Bobby or the space he needed to be Bobby or, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I, I think Bobby Orr is probably the best hockey player, uh, in history. So like, I'm not actually making that case. I'm just saying more information would help us know that more definitively, you know? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. ranty, 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 rabble, 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 as you say. Yes. Um, yeah. well, it's, it, it's, it, it's an interesting point to consider, but I think we're sort of both on the same page where we're like, we don't know enough to make make a strong case for any of these guys, um, yeah. without just basically saying, "Hey, I saw Adam Foot play most of his career. He was great. Let's put him in." It's like yeah. it's you can't make a concrete argument one way or the other. So I think, I think basically, sort of, our our dilemma has not come anywhere close to being solved. Nope. Other than us basically explaining why it's such a dilemma if you yeah. actually consider the value of defensive players and like our lack of ability to do so. And we're only starting to get stats that would even help us to do that now. And yep. as we get the stats that show us how important those kind of guys are, there's not that many of them anymore. No, but, there isn't. There isn't. Yeah, it's just, you know, you because too many teams guys. want possession players yep. and they want guys who, you know, who are going to, uh, uh do the things that like you know the uh, people started saying the the best uh the best defensive defenseman is a defenseman who can make that great first pass out of the zone yeah things have changed you know absolutely 
absolutely. Yeah, it's just get the puck out of your zone with possession of it. You know, not yeah. just because in the, the old days, some of those guys, like their possession stats would have been abysmal because yeah. all they did was chip it right out. And, you know, nowadays, I don't even know if they count that as a turnover or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, get it out. Get it out. Just whatever you because we can always go line back up on our blue line and dare them to get back in. Yeah. Not so much yeah. of the game is played in the neutral zone. So, I mean, it's a completely different game. And it's the. the Things passes that defensemen make nowadays, coaches would have screamed their heads off in the late nineties, two thousands for attempting such a foolish thing. Just get it out. We'll deal with it when it's in the neutral zone. (laughs) Oh god, yeah, it was a completely different game. Yeah. Oh, I think that also has to do with the taking out of the red line, right? Because now you can't just clog up the neutral zone. Because if they get if they do get that pass by you, he's gone. Yeah. So that changed everything. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And the things have completely changed. And this is a rule that, you know, to the extent that it still exists, it's changed. And yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you may be right. It may be a thing where, like, when they discover a particular player, um, you know, who is especially a player who's undervalued by the market, yes. um, who is particularly good at at one thing, which is just when he's on the ice, there are not a lot of shots against the team. Yep. You know, maybe those players will get at least money, if not recognition otherwise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of have to think that way because of the way uh, sports is going. Mm-hmm. But but who knows? And, I mean, certainly the these old, especially the guys whose job it was, is essentially to, like, knock you on your ass. Uh, you know, when you came in, yeah. um, that that's that seems to be pretty much over. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know what? You uh, it's it's over until the playoffs show up, and then you have that's you know, true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Running around destroying everybody, and it's like, well, I guess those sorts of guys still are useful because they put the whistles away. It's not the same game. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. it it is, but it's they let a lot more go. So those guys who, you know, Tom Wilson during the regular season is like, eh, you could put him on the third line, whatever, he's fine. And then he gets the yeah. playoffs. He's one of your most important players because he scares the other team into not cutting through valuable space because he's always destroying people. Yeah. Um, not that we ever talk about contemporary uh, uh, hockey stuff, but Jesus, that contract. I know, I know. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible contract. You know what? He's, he, it, it, he, he reminds me a lot of Lucic, so he's going to yeah. have a shelf life. So probably the first three years of it will be awesome, and then the last three will probably be like, oh, why do we give this guy? Because... It's similar to a Dustin Brown, right? You can yeah. only play that style of hockey for so long before your body just goes, "Nope, I am done with this." <laughs> you yeah, cannot keep doing this. The one, the one problem with, I mean, I know he's young, yeah. but like the one problem with the Lucic slash Dustin Brown comparison is they both scored more than he did by. Oh yeah, I, I, I know that, but I mean, they're still, yeah. they sort of fill that role. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They're a competent, and you know what, Lucic scored a lot more, but he was playing, I think, with better players. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, He's done at Edmonton. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and same thing with Dustin Brown. I think he was just playing with good players and, yeah. you know. In a good situation for sure. Teams. Yeah. Um, but, you know, extremely useful player in the playoffs because they will go to the gritty areas. They yeah. will score big goals and they will get under the other team's skin like crazy. And it's, it's so valuable. But in the regular season, they take way too many penalty minutes. They yeah. actually kind of hurt your team. Probably, they probably lose you two or three games with their dumb stuff. Yeah, and come playoff time, they're so valuable to have, you know. So yeah. um, it will probably continue for a while. 
Yes, I'm sure it will. It's a hockey won't ever change when, when the stakes get high and the referees start to put away their whistles because they don't want to be the deciding factor in a game. Yeah. Stuff gets pretty shady. <laughs> Um, anyway, I, I mean, I'm certainly done ranting. I don't know. About you. <laughs> I, I am completely done ranting. Yes, I think we have explained what the dilemma is, and uh, we just don't have any way of solving it. So. Yes, we don't. We don't. All right. So uh, um, that was our, our special episode. And um, I just wanted to mention that if, if you enjoyed it and liked it, you should tweet it at us or uh, uh, mention it to us on our Facebook page because we can always do more of these. Um, but also, uh, I, I did go crazy and do the re- enough research on this topic to also talk about the original six guys. So if, if people want a part two, we can always do a part two as well. Yeah, um, it's, I, I think it was a really useful episode for us to do because it's when people are wondering, how come they haven't talked about McCrimmon yet? Or how come they haven't talked yeah. about you know this guy or that guy? I mean, we'll, eventually we'll get to Langway because he's in. But I yeah. think for a lot of those guys, we're going to kind of just refer back to this episode and be like, we're not going to consider him because we really have no way of knowing whether he belongs. Yeah, the, actually, that's a that's a good point. The reason we decided to do this episode is because I was sort of like, well, we sort of need to talk about McCrimmon because he's like way up on the on the plus minus list. And uh, and Bill was kind of like, well, <laughs> do we? <laughs> and uh, and then I like just, I found it very hard to compare him to. You know, yeah. we're, we're no, like, I agree. Lidstrom and it's like yeah. well Lidstrom and McCrimmon is comparisons that's probably not going to be very nice for Brad McCrim- McCrimmon you know like, no it isn't back. it isn't and then uh Glenn Wesley it was popping up on the games list too the, uh you know he's way up there on the all-time games list uh-huh. and so we were just like well you know we we kind of need to talk about these guys at least a little bit but like yeah like you said how do we talk about them without them seeming like not very good yeah. because you know our list of their accomplishments would be very short yeah, that's it. It would just sound like the guy has no. Why, why are we even talking about him when yeah. certainly these guys are very good players who just don't fit into the mold of what makes you know what the Hall of Fame votes them in for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and just uh, before we go, one other one other thought had crossed my mind, which I meant to mention to you before, but might as well mention while we're live, just just to tantalize people. Another thing I was thinking is like a theme episode would be fun or or torturous in my case. Uh, would be to uh, go through some of the actual awards voting um, for like groups of years or something like that and, and, and you know, pick apart at it and see how interesting or weird it is. Like yeah, the sure. year that, say, for example, Randy Carlisle was deemed the best defenseman in the NHL. Yeah. Just as an example. As, as, as when people collectively lost their minds momentarily and were just like, okay, what? He's what? Yeah. <laughs> Just those weird, like, only the NHL could do this anomalies where, like, they just, the votings, like, I think I've told you this before. It's a great trivia question. Um, there was only one winger in the history of hockey to win the Calder Trophy, but not be named to the first All-Star team. Yeah, yeah. First rookie team. Yeah, it's probably Yeah. Some guys didn't know if he was a left winger or a right winger, so they each, like, half voted for him at each position. He didn't win yeah. either one. Yeah. <laughs> And then there was that year that I think they voted um, Ovechkin to, to both spots. Like, like, both spots. And you're just like, dude, like, can yeah. you guys figure this out? Like, yeah, come yeah. on. <laughs> Who's doing yeah. this? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
Um, thanks everyone for listening again, and we will be back with one of our uh, normal episodes in the near future.